If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Hello everyone. Today I'd like to introduce you to Ben Netterfield. Ben's a show jumping specialist. He's an NCAS Level 3 show jumping coach and coach educator. And Ben's also got an interesting slant on that. He's an AIPC leadership coach. We're going to talk a little bit about his specialty there, more to do with accidents and injuries. But also, Ben, I think you've got a favourite quote you'd like to tell us. Would you be able to say about your favourite quote? One of my favourite quotes is from actually Steve Waugh, which was talking about the fact of, you know, living 10% of your life outside your comfort zone. And to me, that really rings true in terms of, you know, as competing, even as coaching, learning new things, and certainly in terms of recovering from accident injuries, you know, pushing yourself beyond what your body and your mind want to do to, to get that recovery to happen. Okay, okay. So just enough outside your coverage zone so that it's a bit scary, but still yes. still not so far that it becomes so way out there that you can never get back and you're never the same. Well, you never, you never want, really <laughs> want to that, be the same, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, that, that's the theory. You've you got to try and judge that moment. But uh, it's often, you know, your body and mind are often telling you something. And we all when we're often learning new things, like we all talk about the outside rain, when you're first learning the outside rain, mm -hmm. it seems the most counterproductive thing in the whole world. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly when you get it, it's it's the easiest thing in the world. But, you know, unless you're prepared to give in and, and let yourself do that, that's one of probably the examples in writing, which mm -hmm. once you get it, it's the wonderful thing. Before that, it seems very counterintuitive. Yes, yes. All right, Ben, how did you actually start? So you've done quite a lot show jumping. Did you start as a generalist rider or how did you start? Tell me a little bit about your first experience riding. I grew up on a cattle and sheep property in northern Queensland. So we had horses that we used for mustering from the time we were kids. And my father was very much into using us as his little workers. So <laughs> we, we did a lot of that sort of riding so I was sort of camp drafting and that sort of thing. And then I went to a pony club camp in Mount Isa, which was the first time then I got exposed to that sort of started a little from there when I was sort of around eight, I think, -ish. whereas before that, yeah, it was just mainly, you know, mustering and camp drafting and that sort of Mm -hmm. And did you find that the general mustering camp drafting helped you just give you a little bit more ability, I suppose, to, to have the confidence, you know, thinking about people who start show jumping and all they've done is a little bit of flat work, that would have just naturally given you the edge when you first started show jumping? Probably a little, just because you'd spent just so many hours, like we spent very long, long days as kids in the saddle. So I think you probably had the advantage a little bit that way, but Probably then the disadvantage that you know, growing up in that sort of lifestyle, we you you weren't exposed to to very many lessons, so you sort of had to you know as a te late teenager you were unlearning yes. a lot of habits. Yes. So it's a, 
a little tricky sometimes. Like that natural horsemanship obviously was a, a big deal in terms of that you'd been with horses a lot, mm-hmm. but then in terms of a lot more classical education, you probably lagged behind because you were having to relearn mm, habits mm. and sometimes relearning is actually harder than, than learning for the first time. So yes. it's, a, it's a balancing act, that's for sure. It is an interesting balance, yep. All right, Ben, tell me, you've been doing a lot of working in micro post-traumatic stress with riders yep. who've had accidents, yep. injuries. Can you tell me a little bit about how you first started in, in that? That was probably almost from a personal level. I've had a few quite bad accidents and injuries. A couple of them are horses and a couple of them are sort of from other pursuits. So it's sort of already taken a little personal interest, obviously, in that sort of field. And then it was looking at how to help. Firstly, it was actually my own riders, but then it was broadening out from there. I was sort of looking at how people in general just overcome or look at fear and and how that obviously the fear of of injury, the fear of you know at competition level, you know the fear of change, all all those sort of things, mm. which can affect us on many different levels. And also then, to me on a much more personal level, like the how that interacted with obviously the partnership of the horse, and then a little bit broader in terms of how that affected you know sometimes obviously the family dynamic or, you know, the people that are helping that person. So it was actually a much more umbrella type situation rather than just the rider in that moment, like how how it affected their lives, how they interacted with other people. And it was sort of getting on top of, of that whole situation rather than, you know, that half an hour or an hour in a, in a lesson situation because often fear – is very pervasive and stays with us throughout the day. Like it's the thing that our brain just keeps coming back to if we're worried or concerned by something. Mm, mm. I've heard that people, you know, two people might undergo the same stress, the same incident, the same situation, yet they both react completely different. Is that the same with the work and the riders that you're working with, that people can react Uh, differently? Yes, very much so. And that comes back to your reality and perception filters. Mm-hmm. Fear fear is fear in terms of if it's real fear, like for something that's about to happen or you perceive it, that same reaction is the same, but it's it's then how you overcome it. And then you, you're sort of looking at then how, in terms of mental recovery from that, like how does that fear sit with the person? How does the other thing that, that you look at is how does the injustice of the situation, like this always happens to me, where someone else, you know, that can be just a moment in time. So it's how they sit with them. And then you've got sort of their beliefs and expectations, you know, will it happen again? Or if I avoid the situation or, or how they go through that process. And then those people that are constantly in that state where they're, this is going to happen again. This is just a, an evolution of, of my life type thing. That, that, that accident will lead to this accident, which leads to that accident, which leads to this accident. You know, and especially obviously then when you've got a, a relationship with the horse like that, you're already subconsciously telling the horse a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. And then in, as we know, like sometimes if a horse is quite sensitive, all that is obviously going to be acted upon. If the horse is one of those that's quite blasé the other way, then they couldn't care less if the rider is quite tense. Yeah, you know, we've all seen those situations where you've got one nervous rider mm-hmm. and the horse is 
you, you wouldn't be able to even tell the, the rider is that nervous because the horse isn't overreacting to it. And you've mm-hmm. got another horse that is quite sensitive to it. And so then obviously that leads to a whole cascade of events, you know, from that point onwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes the relationship that, you know, we need to look at. Okay. Okay. Have you got one or two of your students that you could tell us a little bit about? You don't have to say their names, but just say about, you know, what caused the injury or what what happened, what they were like beforehand, then what's caused them to change in the sort of work that you did to help correct that. I think one of the, like I said, one of the obvious ones is is just a, a random fall. Like this person has had a random, like where the, the horse has fallen down and sort of that's sometimes often the way where those ones that come out of the blue, like out of the blue sometimes knock us the most. And it's in that situation that's sometimes easy in terms of putting it in perspective where people aren't blowing that situation out of proportion. So it's that's where you're certainly looking at, you know, what is the reality compared with what the perception. Like so the accident itself was from a very banal set of circumstances in terms of the horse going through a turn it fell down, the rider fell down, that in the the situation, the horse getting back up and has knocked the rider out. You know, we've all seen those, you know, one second later, the rider could have rolled clear and nothing more would have happened in that situation. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the rider that was then knocked out, that's obviously shaken them Mm, a little mm. bit more. And so you're just looking at making sure though that the actual injury and incident itself was actually quite benign in terms of you know, it was a small series of circumstances that led to an overall and how often that they would be exposed to that again. And it's also then talking with the people around them that they they also, you know, if you've got a, a student or, you know, a young rider that if the parents aren't at all horsey, you know, and mm. they're, they're already nervous about, you know, their child being exposed to this dangerous animal and suddenly they've got an unconscious child on the ground. And that obviously is going to make them a little nervous as well. And it's making sure that they realise what they're saying and doing is obviously going to also have an effect, you know, on that rider. So yes. it's making sure the whole situation is is understood mm-hmm. and also put into perspective in terms of, you know, they couldn't have avoided that situation. There was some things that that, that rider could have slightly done differently. But in terms of once the accident was in process, then it's just, a, you know, they had a good helmet, which, you know, saved them. And that's always really important. Mm-hmm. They had good safety stirrups, so they, were, they weren't hung up or anything. Like, so the, the accident didn't lead to an escalation by a series of, you know, non-helmet or shoes that then got caught up and, and things like that. And so it's just making sure in that way it was put into perspective. And over the, the three weeks you know, they had so they had ten days, I think it was, where they didn't ride, mm-hmm. and then the three weeks after that, where you know it was just making sure that they and the horse had no lingering after effects. You know, they were allowed to stretch out their pace, they were allowed to change their position, they were allowed to you know do little checklists to them that actually said to them, "Yep, yeah, you're actually safe and in control again." And that going through a, a really in that way, a really rather than just you know get out and ride. Yep. That person required you to actually, you know, for some people, you can just say, you know, you just get out and ride and, you know, they've blown it away. They, yep, blow yep. out the cobwebs, we're yep. off. Whereas for that person who does tend to sit on things, does tend to overthink things a little, you you sort of put them through a bit of a checklist and said, okay, let's do this. Let's, 
let's make sure your position's nice and strong. Let's make sure your horse is responding to your turn. Let's mm-hmm. make sure, you know, your horse feels it's nice, confident and it's jumping again. And once they could see that we'd ticked off this little bit of a structured list, yep. then they felt safe with that, like good. that coming back to that list made them feel confident with everything. Okay, good. Good. All right. Now, what about that sort of someone having a, a recent fall? What about if they've had a long term not riding? You know, like sometimes people, when they're younger or when they're kids or teenagers, you know, we have horses and just life circumstances, yep. maybe financial, maybe, you know, moving, different other reasons. Yep. Have a long break. Union, all that sort of stuff. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And then they might be 10, 15, 20 years later and say, oh, I want to start riding again. What about that? You know, we've people do lose confidence, but what, what can you do there? I think the probably the biggest thing is one factor of obviously you're older, and sometimes people they haven't done any other sport or any other real activity in that time. They've probably haven't realised how much their body has changed, how much their reaction time has changed, how much their centre of gravity has changed, how much all those little factors will often take a much bigger subconscious effect than they realise. If they've been doing other sports, that's a little bit different. But certainly if they haven't been doing very much other than like so if they were own riders before and then they had stopped riding and now they're trying to get back into riding. So you have that, you know, just that. And that's probably a big effect than people realise in terms of just changing your, your centre of gravity, just changing your reaction time. That, mm-hmm. that makes anyone a little cautious by nature mm. and then then also you know what seemed you know because often often not always but often you're a little bit more gung-ho and I used to be able to just jump on you know the, the thing that you hear the most I used to be able to just jump on and off I go yes and, yes you know a bit of that carefree which you know that's usually your teenage years you are often a little, you know it's a bit like we don't like them to get licenses sometimes <laughs> yes sometimes they're not so aware of all the things that can go wrong i think that often comes as a little bit of shock you know i used to jump on and i used to gallop off into the paddock mm, mm. and that that's great it's it's just giving them yes you you possibly can do that again soon but you just need to get your balance get your control Get your fitness. That's probably one of the biggest things, is apart from anything else, getting your fitness back, getting your eye-hand coordination, getting your your sense of – it's like when people first start learning to drive. You're almost doing that again in terms of, you know, 50 kilometers an hour when you first learn to drive feels like, you know, crazy speed. Mm-hmm. And then when you've been driving for five or six years and you come back to 50 and you feel like you're just falling around the slice strip. So you really lose that sense of speed, which is often one of the other things to get. So it's actually just getting them to have a time frame that's realistic. I think that's probably one of the biggest things, a time frame that's realistic to get all those things going again. Like riding is one of the few things that we use a lot of feel. Most of our century perception comes from our eyes in life the less you're doing with your body the more that is getting stronger and then you suddenly being asked to go back to using you know a sense of feel as one of your strongest aids so it's it's actually reattuning that you know getting that sense of sound also like a horse trotting or cantering Mm -hmm. you know how does that sound like does this sound fast like yes and you know all those sort of things and it's it's getting them to understand that sort of thing and often then getting them to be fit again so they can move their body, so they can get their body to move and keep their eye up. Like if you can keep your eye up, then you're starting to to change all those sensory perceptions. Mm, mm. I, I think that's been very educational because 
you know, I don't know of a rider that hasn't gone through a stage where they've thought, I'm just not confident enough to do, or I'm not as confident as I was, or they've had, you know, it's up and down. It's And riding is a oh, very much a confidence is, sport. Yeah, yeah, confidence is definitely, you know, people, people I, it always amuses me where people thinking that confidence should be this static thing. Like if mm. anyone watches a tennis match, like you see momentum and confidence swing it and you see when one player suddenly got the ascendancy and got that confidence and on a roll, mm. how much that changes. But also, you know, if you're watching some games, you see one or two points can suddenly change that whole confidence structure. And to then put that into perspective of that writing, like you can have a person that's, that is quite confident and something something may have happened and it can be obvious, obviously, like mm. where they've had a fall or they've had a, you know, knock or, or whatever. Mm. You know, but sometimes it's a series of little things that add up to something bigger that after six months suddenly clicks over to, oh, actually, for whatever reason, I'm not feeling as confident. And it's, it's how to gain that. First, admitting that you're losing a little bit of confidence yep. and then how you work back and why. Uh-huh, okay. um, and that's always a really important thing for any athlete. Okay, so if someone... It knows that they're in that situation. What's a tip that you could give them, some sort of a training tip for them, either as a rider or a handler, and something they can do with their horse if they're losing? You know, because sometimes people are very confident on one horse but not so confident on another horse. Are there some tips there that you can give the listeners? One of the basic things, obviously, is having a, a good reality check in terms of, you know, is this happening all the time? We can all live in that lovely state of denial that, oh, this is a once-off thing. Mm-hmm. But if sometimes if you go back, well, actually, was it a once-off thing? Like, has this happened the last three times I went out or has this happened every time I've gone to this situation? So you're just trying to look you're trying to look for any patterns mm-hmm. and they can be positive or negative patterns. Like, sometimes people get too caught up in you because – we want to make sure we encourage the positive patterns where our psyche can sometimes lead us down to the negative patterns and see only those. And also the other thing is when we're training, and this is with our coach or, or just by ourselves, mm-hmm. we have to be aware of what we're doing in terms of when we're talking about confidence because some of the training things that you'll do to actually make yourself better are actually going to be quite hard on the soul. Mm-hmm. Like training at its best is – you're doing something that you don't do well mm-hmm. to improve. And so you've got to be aware that if I've been hammering away at things I don't do well to try and improve them, I've sometimes got to give myself a little break and do things I do do well to, to make sure I do have that confidence boost. And so you sometimes have to look at that, you know, the weight of some horses need more confidence, some yep. riders need more confidence. You know, leading into a big event, some horses and riders need to be pushed to the edge and some you need to be bringing them back and actually, you know, you're better off, instead of having a peak performance, you're better off having them super confident. And if they're super confident, they're actually going to give you a better performance anyway. So mm-hmm. it's sort of looking at all those different angles is probably one of the big things. So it's it's good to make sure you have someone you trust yep. that you can talk to and make sure that person is in your corner. Like it, they don't have to necessarily be a positive person, but that they've got your best interests at heart. Like So they're not afraid to say something that, you you need to work on, but they're also not that negative voice that just is deputy downer anyway. And that's probably sometimes what we've always got to be careful. Like who is, we talk about a little bit, who packs your parachute? And when you talk about that saying, it's who's there that actually helps you. Like you don't want someone who's 
always negative and always seeing the, the worst in every situation. You don't want that person packing your parachute, but you want someone obviously that's technically proficient. Yes. And that they know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and also can do a good, good job. So, you know, if say one of your aunts is a really positive person, but not very technically, that's, that's good to boost your ego a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we all need that occasionally, yep. but you also want that person that is technically proficient and, can say, look, you know, you need to work on, if you don't look at this situation, this is going to blow up in your face later on. Yep. So sort of a a mix of coaches for a mix of skills. Yes, exactly. And that's, you know, that can be, you know, part of your friend group as well, like Mm, the same mm. thing. All right. Now, I know that two coaches who have inspired you are George Sanner and Rod Brown. Can you tell me a little bit about how they've inspired? I mean, they're both brilliant show jumpers. Um, Yep. Just tell me a little bit about them. So when I finished school and I went and worked sort of at a pre-training barn first in Toowoomba and then I actually worked for David Dobson for a little while, which was really good. Yep. And so it was sort of the first exposures to sort of professional, you know, horses in in terms of equestrian. Yep. And then I went down to Sydney and worked, which was EBA at the time. Yes. So John McMillan as well, mm-hmm. which was, which was those three characters are very interesting, yep. interesting bunch in terms. It gives you very, just the the way they all differently interacted with horses and 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 differently had a look at at business models and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good mix of how different people looked at even similar horses and thought of the pathway forward for that horse in, you know, whatever, whether it was going to a client, whether it was going overseas, whether it was going to be retrained or, you know, certainly in George's situation, looking at how it's, you know, Grand Prix season, you know, look for the next six months, 12 months. Yep. Because at that age, I was sort of, you know, one week to the next was about <laughs> as far as I looked in front. So, yeah, that was, that was a very interesting time. And just in those days, I think, it was very much, you, you sort of certainly got some lessons and stuff like that, but it was certainly very much you surrounded by people that were riding the way you wanted to ride. And so that was a really wonderful tool, constantly seeing horses ridden and worked and, and competed in a very, and especially for that time, very professional, very structured way where the sport was only just sort of going in that direction in Australia. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as uh, a book to complement your writing and your education, I suppose, have you got a book? I talked to you about a book and you, I think you were choosing between a few. Is there one that stands out in particular? The Secrets and Methods of a Great Champion, Michelle Robert. Just because that book also has psychology behind yep. some of the writing rather than just the whole – like there's quite a few good books out there, but that's probably one of the ones that also looks at – you know, how you feel as a rider and how then, you know, mindset is a good part of it. So that was probably one of those books. Whereas it was funny, as a a young kid, obviously, having not had that many lessons, but, you know, doing some reading, you were reading the the German books, which are wonderful. But Mm. if you didn't really understand, like genuinely understand the basics at that stage, reading this very cold black and white print and then trying to put it into practice on this, Thoroughbred had just come off the track. Sort of, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it was quite quite a quite a hard thing to do. Like now, I I understand what they're trying to do, but back then it was there was very few books that were a little bit more uh, pra- from that practical side mm. in in that way. Mm. 
All right. Now, what about moving forward and what does the future hold for you now? Um, so, to me, I, I really quite enjoy watching a horse rider, a student progress. Yep. Um, so, to me, it's still like I quite enjoy both in terms of performance teaching, in terms of people getting ready for big events or, you know, adult riding groups. I quite enjoy that watching you know, someone just enjoy their riding. Like it's mm-hmm. it's quite satisfying seeing them feel confident and getting things like that. So sort of doing that sort of thing a little bit more. In terms of balancing act, I, I'm probably going to be doing a little bit more of the, I say, working with people that are overcoming injuries mm. a little bit more down the track. Mm. But I think I'll always keep, you know, the horse performance side quite mm. strong. Mm. Yeah, it's just going to be keeping that balance going, basically. Sure. All right. Now, a lesson for people to take away, you know, something, a philosophy, a lesson, something they can think about as they move through their day, just that you'd like to give them. I think probably probably is the greatest cliche in the world in terms of, you know, keep it simple. Often what we do as riders, especially if you're only riding one or two horses, is you you either ride that horse at the end of the day or or the beginning of the day, Mm. and you'll race out do that horse, run around, ride it. And if that horse hasn't gone well in the morning, you've got, you're sitting at work all day thinking about what went wrong or whatever. And sometimes putting it into perspective of, well, how did that relate to the whole week? How did that relate to the whole month? Mm-hmm. Rather than getting bound up in just that one ride, that one moment. So yeah, keep, keeping it simple and keeping it, keeping an overall plan, I think is probably one of the biggest things like have your goals that are realistic Mm. Um, it's okay definitely okay to dream there's nothing wrong with a good dream but then you know have realistic short and long-term goals and then be realistic with how you're going in relationship to that and I think that's probably one of the that becomes much more satisfying because you're really aware of where you're at so yeah those genuinely good short-term and long-term goals and then how to perspectively how the does your work it relate to those Okay. All right. Now, Ben, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people want to contact you as far as um, helping them with their accidents, injuries, getting over, becoming more confident as a rider. How can they contact you if they want to organise a clinic or something with you? Um, so, it's my details are on the EA website yep. and I actually have a webpage which is just Benedfield Christian Services. Okay. That's sort of the two main. But, yeah, the email address on the EA website. No worries. We'll put that on the show notes as well. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Thanks very much, Ben. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 